Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Whether you're catching the show live or in archive, again, welcome to everyone uh, listening and, uh, of course, in the chat room as well, too. Uh, anyway, uh, happy start to the new year for everyone. Uh, I'm finally getting around to doing a show that connects to my New Year's column. Uh, and I'm going to do a live column read today and then subsequent discussion about that in a little bit more detail. A little quick info about me. Uh, my name again is Jim Ventura. I'm a professional astrologer, numerology consultant. I work with all kinds of different oracles. Uh, I have a home office here in Phoenix and do sessions with folks all over the country uh, via phone and FaceTime and Zoom and all that good stuff. So uh, information about my services can be found at jimventura.com. I am also a published author with a couple of books, and uh, I'm in the works with another one. Talked about that in other shows, and I do a lot. Of, uh, I do a column every two months called Snake Oil, and that's where we take the takeoff is for this particular show. Um, if you're not already getting my column, you can email me at venturasizeyahoo.com and get added to the mailing list. Uh, good information, uh, blind copy, so no one gets your info from me. It's every just every two months column. I send it out, but also give you discounts and options for sessions uh, that people on my mailing list have access to. So, okay, all that good stuff. Also, I always tell everyone, check out my YouTube channel. Uh, great videos there at J, single letter, Ventura Snake Oil as well. Okay, so today we're going to be doing a live column read. This is a new column. And then I'm going to talk a bit about this column in more detail. Uh, I think it's very significant for the new year at multiple levels. Um, if you caught my intro, uh, I see a few people jumping in on the phone lines. I don't take live calls during column read shows. So uh, my apologies for that, but uh, typically those are about asking for mini readings and I don't do those during column shows. Uh, just not of interest to the listeners. It's interesting to anyone who's calling in though, of course, but just not for the listeners. So anyway, uh, Let's dive in here. I'm going to read this month's column, and this is my January-February snake oil column, and it's called Only the Beginning. So while there are aspects of life that are not easy or even possible to change, there may be blocks, in some cases by our self, if it takes us off our before-birth-planned dharma themes. More on that later. We far more leeway to shift and radically alter so many aspects of our individual experience. This is not simply an idealistic or airy-fairy philosophical statement that often gets tossed around in New Age circles. The actual cells of our bodies actually die and reform all the time. Seven-year cycles in particular are notably significant in that we create our physical bodies and reshape the focus of what we prioritize as important both how we see ourselves and as we're seen by others. There are astrological and numerology cycles as well that nudge us to change directions at different times. Being aware of these cycles can be a great benefit, yet in the most simplistic yet quite accurate way, we do it many times and points in our lives become different people. They even tangibly live in a new world when we change our beliefs. 
Most of us do this without realizing we made the changes and lose sight of how this process actually works. It often begins with a spark of a new idea and then a decision to move in that direction. Sometimes the changes we go through are considerable and clearly easy to notice, and at other times they can be seamless transitions. We move from childhood into adolescence and then to adulthood and eventually to old age. These changes alone are profound. We don't need to know how to do this because our spiritual and biological processes handle these details for us. We may move from being single to married and sometimes back to single again. Move from good health to illness and back and forth at different times. We shift who we are and our priorities when we have children. We take on a new identity when we start a new job or career. Social circles often change who we are and the things we, uh, we, that are reflected on our new group of friends. Moving to another state or even country is often a major shift in our persona. Changes from weight loss or weight gain can shift how we feel about ourselves and how others see us. Beliefs about how we feel about ourselves and whether we're seen as appealing and attractive often change both internally and externally. We may go from being sexually experienced, uh, inexperienced to experienced. There may be periods of celibacy or a swing of being very active, whether in a committed relationship or single and exploring. All of these and many other examples of substantial changes in who we may be at different stages in our life. I was painfully shy when I was younger, especially in my early school years. This changed measurably when I was in the last year or two of high school. I became even more confident and even popular a few years later when I was in college. My shy persona transformed completely when I moved into my late 20s and especially in my early 30s. Restaurant work as a waiter and bartender helped to fine-tune my communication skills. This never really launched into doing radio and television as well as public speaking. Most forms of communication and expression, I have a Libra Moon, Gemini Second House, and Number Three Heart's Desire in my numerology chart, are actually easy things for me now. Actual experiences themselves were unquestionably a big part of making those changes to who I was, through trial and error, through both experience and added knowledge, I reshaped who I was and how others perceived me. Yet this and so many other aspects of my life actually started with a decision. The more pronounced transformational aspects took place in my life when I passionately decided to become something or someone else. The added fire of really, really wanting it was notable fuel. As strange as it may sound, we have all done this at different points. Often when we become aware of the new aspect or self, we may even forget the old self. For me, I've always been aware of this process. Many people simply see it as luck or fate if the changes are good. Some may see it as something that happened to them without their control or influence at all. A major change I did very decisive in my early 20s was when I decided to become, odd as it sounds, better looking. I both egocentrically and practically thought it would be useful to be more physically attractive. So I took sensible steps like working out, putting more energy to grooming, healthier eating, and gaining confidence. But the deeper truth is I knew I could reform the way I looked and allowed myself to be more attractive. I had to look at why I didn't feel worthy or able to do this before 
and then willingly let go of the many limited beliefs about myself. Pictures from my early 20s to the significant changes that surfaced in my early 30s leave no question that I pulled this off. I've done similar things at different points in my life. I decided to become a waiter, a teacher, a good singer, talented writer, do television, get hotter sexual partners, heal illness, and even age slower than you're supposed to. In some respects, it was easier for me because I had known that my beliefs were my reality for just over two-thirds of my life. I began to study metaphysics at age 17, so I embraced this truth. Even at the times in my life when I seemed to be stuck in a limited place and even rallying against it and victimization, a part of me always knew I was creating this too. This is always not an easy thing to face. When I was a child, I loved to play games. Outside of my shy school life persona, I had lots of friends in the neighborhood where I grew up. Part of my popularity was my ability to be the fun one who came up with creative games to play with my friends. Sometimes when I saw a group of trees growing together that formed an arch, I would seek potential. Other neighbors had metal or stone gateways that formed an archway in their driveway or entrance to their homes. This was equally cool. I would tell my friends that if we walked through the arch, we would become, we would be in a completely different world or even be different people. There were multiple variations of the game, and we stepped through, we would pretend for hours that we were in these new worlds. Or new selves. Privately in my own childhood home, too. Walking through the gate that separated my backyard to the walkway to the front yard was a portal when I wanted it to be. I would step through and focus on changing and shifting who I was in small ways or in very big ways. I somehow knew it might take weeks, months, or even years to show up in the outer world, but I trusted it would inevitably show up. This was done in the spirit of play, and it was fun, but I knew there was something deeper to it. I frequently encounter clients and people out in the world that hold tenaciously to a limited reality or belief about themselves and their world. Examples, all men are pigs. I was born poor, and that's just the way that it is. I'm not very talented. I'm not lovable. I'm not attractive. I can't lose weight. Life is really hard. I'm never going to have any money. The list of quite negative beliefs many of us carry is long and full of quite creative variations. In most cases, we cling to these stuck beliefs out of fear of change or a lack of self-worth. We may accept these limitations and never even consider the possibility of changing what we believe. Sometimes, if for any number of reasons, it's safe in our minds to hug our cactus. Change can be scary. This is part of where the expression, the devil you know, comes from. In truth, in the life of spirit, we're always at the beginning. We can change so many aspects of our reality if we're willing to look at our limited beliefs and to recognize that is what they actually are, habitual convictions. And if you created a belief in a reality, you can also discreate it and make something new. Believing that you don't create your experience that things just happen to us is largely nonsense and also just a limiting belief as well. What will you decide to do in your new year ahead? So that was my column. I want to add a little side note here. At the beginning of this column, I had mentioned Dharma 
you know, and that point, let me reiterate it, was that, you know, while there are many, many things we absolutely can change about ourselves, our reality, our experience, there are some limitations to that. And those are what are known as dharmic things, meaning direction karma. The things that we decided upon during, uh, before our lifetime, to explore during a lifetime. So, for instance, if you were born with a handicap, so to speak, I know that word is not in vogue. Um, if you were born with some type of a handicap, you know, you were missing a limb or some other handicap, for the most part, we, we as a, you know, it's an extreme example, we cannot grow a new arm. Uh, those are more limited limitations that we may take on. That being said, we can certainly become an incredibly productive, inspiring, happy human being if we're missing an arm, and probably more so than many people with two arms. You know? <laughs> so there's still some leeway here. But, yes, there are some things that are not as movable just simply because they are tangible realities in the physical plane, um, and they are dharmic path, meaning there's a reason we experience that for karmic purposes or just part of basically shaping the life path itself. Okay, so again, that being said, believe me, there's a ton of stuff that, that we can change. And again, as I said here, we do this all the time. Uh, and I think it's important to, to realize that. Many of us um, spend our lifetimes reacting to events. And that's part of being in a human body and a physical reality and experiencing that, and we're supposed to in some ways, and there's, there's joy in that potentially. But the deeper truth is uh, in, in many, if not most, areas of our life, our beliefs form our reality. And, you know, it's been said that human beings are magicians. We create reality and then not realize we created it in that sense. So you know, that can be stressful. If you're, like, looking at areas in your life where you're struggling, if you're, again, if you're broke, if you don't like your work, if you're born into a crazy family, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you, you're having trouble finding love, uh, you know, any of these other dynamics that we all can go through. But, you know, there, there are beliefs there that often were formed from our childhood that are often never questioned, so uh, let me kind of give you an example of this in, in some ways that, that is significant. You know, if you're raised in a family where you're told that the only way to be um, successful is if you become a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, if you follow in the footsteps of what your family told you to be, uh, you know, within that structure, again, that is ultimately a belief and it may work for you if you follow in those footsteps and find that fulfilling. But if your disposition is not to do any of those things and you find that type of work or life to be miserable, you may unconsciously block any type of success no matter what you do because you may believe that you're doing something wrong and you're not, quote, unquote, doing the right thing. So that's where identifying those beliefs kind of come into play. And we have the capability of doing that. I do this with clients all the time when I work with them and I help them see a lot of times they're, they're just not, they're just not um, questioning that some of these things are debatable, that they're not always, again, factual, you know, in, in, in reality. They're just something that we believe. And, and again, it's not as strange as it may sound. You know, there are 
you know, if you were told the only way is to be a doctor or a lawyer or to follow your family's footsteps, then you're ignoring the fact that there are millions of artists and 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 people who do all kinds of different types of work that have nothing to do with what you've been told. And it's the same dynamic. If you're been told, if you deeply believe that all men are cruel and brutal and you're a female or a male that's attracted to men and that's what you believe to be true, you know, kind of unfortunately you're going to keep kind of recreating that experience, whether you like it or not, because it's what you see as your reality. But what we can say is even if you're dealing with that, if you look around, you're going to run across people that have amazing relationships and meet good men or women in, in positive ways. But we become blind to that. Or, you know, if you kind of dig deeper, sometimes it could be the issue of feeling unworthy of that. Uh, so I use that example when I wrote this piece about, you know, it sounds like such a silly thing to let myself be, you know, better looking, seeing that as useful. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I grew up in a family of, of seven. Uh, well, it was nine of us, counting my mom and my dad, so I have six siblings. And we were taught, you know, to not, you know, show off. Very kind of Catholic upbringing, not to be, uh, you know, show off our beauty or be pretty. We were sort of taught that that was something you had to not necessarily be ashamed of, but never to flaunt in any way. So that was not something that was um, – you know, part of my experience when we were younger. Uh, my my sisters got dressed up or looked good. My mother really wasn't necessarily complimentary about it. Um, it was just something that was really not part of our reality. It was sort of be subdued, be in the background. And so for me, um, I remember being 20 years old and I was working in a restaurant and I had shown uh, one of the women I was working with, a young woman, a picture of my family and she had said to me, oh, my God, you're all so – everyone's so good-looking. And it was almost like scandalous to me. <laughs> I never really thought of my family as good-looking. Like, you know what I mean? We were just so taught away from that. So that was funny because that was kind of a trigger point for me as well where I thought, okay, you know, maybe some people are kind of seeing that we, we have some of this disposition and I think I'm, I'm going to run with this. I think I'm going to make a decision to let myself be prettier. I mean, I can say this in a very humorous way. I was so uncomfortable with my physical self to a large extent when I was younger that even when I had people hitting on me, both men and women, hitting on me, if they were really attractive, I would never do anything in that sense, very minimal sexual experience in my early 20s, um, I would never do anything because I couldn't grasp that they even thought I was attractive. So, and then kind of looking back on it, they were hitting on me. Apparently they thought I was, you know what I mean? So, you know, it was a lot of interesting stuff that occurred in that arena of my life that, that really began to um, make me decide. And then again, I took these actual steps and, you know, if you get my actual column emailed to you and you see it on the site, you know, I used a couple of photos and pictures. That's one of the fun things about reading um, for multiple reasons and, and getting the column. I add pictures, and that does add some added insight into what you're hearing or learning about. But, yeah, by the time I got into my early 30s, you know, I became pretty damn pretty <laughs> in that sense, like I said, from, from multiple angles. And, again, I realized I had let myself do it. It's the same thing with, um, with like, public speaking. Um, I, you know, I remember being, you know, in the 10th, 11th grade and having to speak in school 
and just being horrified at the idea of, of doing that and, and standing up and reading in front of people. And, you know, so, you know, uh, with both practical experience, more practice, and, you know, making decisions that I would let myself get comfortable with public speaking, um, I, I kind of got good at. You know, done a, quite a bit of radio and television and things of that nature. In fact, when I was 30, uh, I remember thinking, this is way back in the latter part of the 90s, um, there was, uh, living in Phoenix, there was a uh, Cox Studios used to have a, a uh, division for public access shows. You got to be a little older to understand what a public access show was, but there were a lot of these cheesy public access shows on different stations, and we had that here. And I decided to do um, a uh, my own talk show. And I did that for two years. It was called Body, Mind, and Spirit of Arizona, and I interviewed people. And, um, you know, I, again, I remember early on, I was maybe 30 when I started doing the show. That was unnerving. But in my mind, I thought to myself, kind of the ballsy Sagittarian part of me, like, I can either go to school for communication and, and learn that way, or I can just do my show and get practice this way. And uh, it was effective. I, you know, the first couple of shows, I always joke about the first show I did, I watched it on video, and I was, I, I, I actually literally said, for some reason during an interview, I kept saying, well, as far as that goes, and I think I said that like 26 times in like a 35, 40-minute show. And the first time I watched it, I literally want to reach through the screen and strangle myself for saying the same thing over and over again. You know, so, but, so the practical self learned to speak better through communication expression. But by the time um, we had gone to maybe our, our ninth or tenth or eleventh show, the shows were getting really good. And I actually had a staff of like makeup person and camera people and people were volunteering to do the show because they loved working on the set. They loved doing the show. So it's really fun. I mean, I would have continued it, but Cox Studios decided to get rid of that division and had closed that down. And again, by the early 2000s, there wasn't really much with public access shows anymore. Uh, but uh, it was a great experience. And, uh, but again, I just thought I want to get better at communicating, so what should I do? So I'm saying that to everybody listening to my show, listen, guys, get out of your own head with the limitations that we so tenaciously cling to about what you can't do. Because, again, that's what, what kind of throws us off. First, it's, it's making some type of decision saying, okay, I want to make more money. I want to find love. I want to be more successful. I want to become healthier. I, you know, I mean, I want to, you know, succeed in whatever capacity I want to. So, again, that's first step. You have to make a decision that you're going to do that. Now, once you do that, here's where we get into the cool, more esoteric kind of elements of this. Once the decision is made, then you begin to get impulses and pushes. New information starts coming your way. Your higher self, your spirit guides, your angels, whatever your terminology for that is, begins to kind of move things your way, kind of start taking you on that path. Now, that's the positive side of it, and I'll talk about that more in a second here. The negative or limited side of it is often what will happen is those beliefs will pop up in your face and you will be confronted with them. Um, and when that happens, that has to be dealt with first. You know, we all 
there's been plenty of, of metaphysical New Age books over the years about affirmations and visualizations, and they're awesome. That's a big part of, of what we have to learn how to do, how to direct our thought and our ideas, you know, things like vision boards and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely for those things. These practical motivations are excellent. But if you, for instance, let me give you a perfect example of this. If your goal is to lose weight, um, and that's something you decide to do, I'm going to get thin, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to eat better, blah, 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 decision first. You may, if you face it, there may be some wisdom in looking at why you're heavy in the first place, just using this as one example. One thing may be that you were born in a family where people were on the heavy side and you were told that, you know, everyone in our family um, has trouble losing weight. No matter, even if we eat only a little bit, we always gain weight. Again, seems like it's a tangible thing, but it is a belief. The other thing may be, for many people, um, it's that fear of vulnerability, of being sexual, being intimate. Um, sometimes that, you know, weight can be armor and it can feel like you're safer somehow in that respect as well. You know, I always use that um, as a – I was never a fat kid by any means. Uh, I was kind of skinny, and then I gained some weight in my teen years when I tore my hormonal crapola. But I never was really, really heavy. But in my late teens, early 20s, I, you know, I wasn't in the greatest shape even though I was exercising, and I recognized that part of the reason I kept myself poorly dressed and a little on the heavy side and all those things was I was so afraid of the vulnerability of intimacy uh, and felt unworthy of that, and that was scary. So I recognized that that was part of my armor in a way. Another thing, this, and again, just staying in this as an example, you know, maybe that, you know, for a lot of us, we never, again, we never question the beliefs we have. We may look out in the world and say, oh, you know, um, I may be a heavy, overweight person, but I have a good personality. I'm a good human being. Every time I talk to women that are skinny, they're all bitches and they're all shallow. Um, again, listen, that's a belief. I'm certainly sure you can find many examples of, of women or men that fit into that category, <laughs> you know, but. The truth is it's kind of BS because there are certainly people that are skinny in shape that are, are spiritual and, and aware and kind and good, but you're not going to see that. So then that's the weirder part. You may not allow yourself to become skinny, so to speak, or in shape because you feel it's more spiritually um, positive to be heavy, that you don't want to become one of those shallow people. So lots of different angles, but... I think the thing is, and one of the things that I learned in, in exploring this and in, in changing our reality is a lot of times those beliefs are sort of hidden. And what I mean by that is you don't have to go through Freudian psychology and dig away to get to them. That's not actually true. Um, they're quite conscious. It's just that, again, we never question them in that sense. We, we just, again, we simply never, never question them. Uh, we just cling to those beliefs because in some way they protect us or, uh, or you know, continue to make us unhappy and we feel like that this is a safer place to be. So, you know, I, I, you know a couple of years back I had some issues with my kidneys and had uh, a round or two kidney stones. And um, when, I, when I, I did holistic methods to heal that. I did not use Western medicine. I, I used uh, herbal medicine and 
acupuncture and trigger points and Epsom salt baths. And the main thing is I did, I get to the heart of what that was about. You know, typically kidney issues often have to do with acting like a baby about things, being overreactive, and often typically is a fear of judgment in some way, anger about that. And so um, what happened for me was I began to look at, I had kind of dual beliefs going on. I wanted to be more famous. I wanted to be more successful. But I had a fear about that, that people would judge me. I would deal with more criticism, you know. Uh, and so I realized at some level I was blocking a certain amount of fame or success. Because, again, I use the analogy hugging your cactus. It was safer in my mind. What I had to do is I had to get more comfortable with the fact that people were going to criticize me and take on more of a disposition of who gives a crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? That took a while to get to that. Um, you know, it's not always an easy thing to do. Anyone who's done Instagram, you know, YouTube, uh, TikTok, things of that nature, you know, it's that weird kind of catch-22. You want to get more viewers for obvious reasons, but then you're going to get more stuff in the comment section. And people are horrible <laughs> sometimes when it comes to commentary. I've talked about that in past columns about just the shameful behavior people have when they're hidden behind a computer. But that being said, more often than not, if you're doing something good, you know, 80, 90% of your commentary may be quite positive and uplifting. And the negative stuff, you just have to learn to, you know, who cares? You know, easier said than done. But I'm telling you, an absolute requirement if you're going to let yourself be more successful. I've got um, a site on TikTok where I do animal totem videos. It's called Animal Speaks. And I have uh, my uh, face, uh, Instagram, sorry. My Instagram handle is Ventura Words, and I do a lot of stuff about astrology on those. You know, I've, I've been on Instagram, uh, TikTok only for a year or so, um, and, uh, and, and Instagram for a couple of years. But only in the last couple of months have my TikTok and Facebook, um, not Facebook, keep saying Facebook, my Instagram video has been taking off, uh, especially TikTok. I do these animal totems. You know, in the low end, I'm getting four or 500 views. Sometimes they're up to 3,000 or so. So I look at it two ways. One, part of it was knowledge and learning, how to do better videos, how to, when to post them. There's a tangible reality of the detail. But the truth is, I'm getting more comfortable with the idea of being seen and dealing with that judgment. So, of course, that disposition changed the amount of access that I'm getting. And it's just, like I said, something I, I really realize at a deeper level. I know it's hard sometimes to look at the errors in the life where we're blocked because then it feels like it's our fault. It is. But you should not look at something that you're unhappy with as your fault in the sense that you're bad or wrong or stupid. I mean, that's crazy. You know, we're, everything in, in physical reality in life is trial and error. We're figuring things out as we go. So if you're in a situation where you're not happy and you want to change that and have a different reality, know that you can. But, you know, don't beat yourself up over your past experience. Again, you were just learning. So that's kind of the key. You know, I'm doing a lot more television and, and a lot more stuff that is more visual. You know, I, have, I'm, I recently turned 58 years old. You know, there's a part of me that I think to myself, I wish I had figured this out when I was younger, you know, younger and 
prettier. It would have been better to do more television and more of these things. But, you know, I look at this two ways. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively cute for my age. You know, I mean, in fact, I, I just saw someone I hadn't seen in 15 years recently from an old metaphysical group I was part of, and she made me laugh because she looked at me and she said, do you even age at all? And I'm like, yes, trust me, I do, but I just do it slower. <laughs> Again, that was a belief that I made, a decision I made back in my uh, late 20s, early 30s. I was going to age but do it slower, you know, than most people would do. But, you know, so, yeah, it would be great if I had figured this out when I was 33. But I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that level of fame. That would have overwhelmed me. And in my astrology chart, it's Saturn in Aquarius in my 11th house as well. Uh, trouble with receiving and, and feeling like a weirdo and a strange bird and, and be not being comfortable with that. So it took a little time to work through that. And I'll mention this, you know, from astrological terms, you know, uh, that's what Saturn represents in our chart anyway. It's like a thing that we struggle with and we have difficulty with when we're younger and we have fear about and where our hard lessons are. And when you're older, Saturn is like that lump of coal that you polish into a diamond. It's a thing you become actually really good at, you know, like that's your strength. So let's joke about that. You know, Saturn Aquarius worries that you're weird and don't fit into social circles correctly. And, you know, now in my 50s, I love the fact that I'm weird, you know. Weird is interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, normal. Come on, how boring can you be? You know, so I have a completely different viewpoint on it. So, you know, I, I've seen these changes myself. I've worked with clients in, in this process, and it is amazing. So my, you know, my inspirational point here is you're not stuck. Again, karmic direction, karma, dharma issues aside, and those are real. Like I said, you're, you're not going to um, grow when you're 40 years old, six feet you're not going to grow six inches taller. That's just not something that can happen in the physical plane. But could you come across to others as taller, more attractive, more, um, more, uh, you know, bigger in an energetic way? Absolutely. You know, I'm only actually five ten and a half, and I have a friend of mine. She's married. She's just a buddy of mine, and. Her husband is very protective of her, and he uh, very, like, hyper-protective of her. The guy with his guns and all the other kooky, funny stuff, he's a very likable guy, though, just the same. And she's sometimes like a gambling buddy where I go gamble with her once in a while. And he, when she says that she's going with Jim, her husband is like, great. You know, he, I, she, she heard him once talking to a friend on the phone. She said, Jim's like this. You know, he's like this six foot two, 230-pound, muscular, towering, you know, masculine, protective man that, that protects my wife. I always feel safe knowing Jim will protect her. You know, there's, you know, none of that uh, sexual stuff going on for multiple reasons. And so he, like, he'll, he just goes on and on about this huge monster of a person that I am physically. <laughs> and I am a pretty muscular guy, but I'm mean, 5'10 and a half and maybe 210 pounds. Uh, he just sees me as a monster in that way. And it, it's, you know, I have no desire to be taller. I'm perfectly content at this height, but I come across sometimes taller or larger because of the energy that I carry. So that's another version of this. You know, there are limitations of things you cannot change, but you can appear that way 
in those those elements of limitation. So again, reiterating my point here, nobody's stuck. And it is a new year ahead. And I'll mention a couple of other brief things here uh, that may be of interest to my listeners. Uh, this is the year of the rabbit in Chinese astrology. And I did a whole kind of couple of spots on this um, on TikTok about uh, uh, the rabbit as an animal totem or hare. And um, it's like rabbit is associated with the year of fertility and potential abundance. It's connected with shape-shifting, you know, changing who we are. We never be sure if the rabbit is in this world or the other world. A lot of associations with rabbit or hare with um, the uh, Easter, the Easter eggs that magically appear in the hare's nest. Or, you know, there's a lot of history behind that in Druid culture and Celtic culture as well, as well as in Christianity. But ultimately, it means like that new ideas can pop into our head. Rabbit is seen as clever. So there's a lot of opportunity this year to run with that energy of shifting who we are, changing, being clever, knowing how to, how to maneuver. You know, rabbit knows how to zigzag away from an attacker. You know, the negative connotations to rabbit energy can be um, being like, uh, you know, timid and fearful of confronting something. Uh, it can also be uh, like tilting because of the energy of abundance of rabbit is great, but we can tilt and get too heavy handed about things. You know, if you, you know, if you like traveling and then you're going broke because you're traveling so much, you know, there may be some question about that, you know, with anything. Sometimes we tilt when we like stuff too much. I always use the other funny analogy. I, you know, I see many new age person who, is like obsessed with one seminar after another and one thing, you know, and that's great evolution to keep taking new seminars and spirituality, but, you know, it can become almost addictive in a way. So that's another element of rabbit that can have to do with that tilting. But ultimately, again, the vibration is positive about changing who you are. And so my advice is this. All I would suggest at this point is the first thing is make a decision where you want to go, what you'd like to create in your life. What's going to happen from there is two things. Be clear on that decision. And, yes, absolutely, vision boards and affirmations and do those things. Those are going to be a huge help in in motivating you forward. Um, But two things are going to happen. One, you're going to have limited beliefs that come up, why you think this way, and it may be reflected in crazy people around you that exaggerate it. So if you believe you're a victim of life, you may run across a whole bunch of martyrs who (laughs) make you gag, and then you're like, oh, wait a second, do I have some of that in me? And that gives you an opportunity to confront those things and make a decision to change them, the first thing. So that can take a little while. You know, and the other thing is, um, you know, the, like, it's also like you're going to have impulses to from your higher self to take new action, you know, little brave steps. If you're looking to find a mate and, you know, you want to meet someone, but you're afraid you're unlovable, you're not attractive enough, you know, once you make the decision to find a mate to become more attractive um, and, and believe that you can, you may have an impulse, for instance, that you're, you know, in a Starbucks and getting your coffee and there's a really cute guy, a really cute girl, there and you have an impulse to say oh I like that necklace that you're wearing or some cute little funny thing 
And it may actually be that that person is interested in you or you become friends or they know someone that you would connect with or just at the very least you're fine-tuning your ability to socialize and communicate. You know, I had a buddy for years that would go to the bars. He's a gay man. He'd go to a bar, and he'd end up sitting by himself. He'd always say that nobody talks to him. Capricorn. And uh, I was always like, dude, there's no issue. He's not unattractive. He's a good-looking guy. He's just a lot of people are afraid of approaching him in that way because he is attractive. And, you know, I say that. I'm like, you just have to come to him and lean in and talk to other people and make them realize that you're, you're a friendly, likable guy. And uh, he did that, and he's actually had an actual boyfriend for, like, 10 months now, which is mind-boggling because he's one of the most celibate people I know from long periods. Um, so, uh, but he, he got broke out of his little box in that way, which is, which is good. So, yeah, those are the steps. You make a decision. You surround yourself with visualization, affirmation. You visualize yourself moving in that direction. You confront those limited beliefs and you change them. And then uh, you follow these little impulses that stem from your higher self. And when you do it, you will see a change in reality. Some things take, you know, some things are quick. Some things take, you know, uh, may take months or years, depending on the level of what it is you're trying to change. But you can just even practice this by, like, um, trust me, if you get really adamant that you're going to see a yellow car, for instance, um, and that becomes a very simple thing because you're unlikely to block that. You may very well, hours later or the next day, uh, you know, have a yellow car come up right next to you. And then you have that weird moment. You're like, oh, my God, look how easily I made that happen. Well, you did it easy because there was no blockade. You know, you don't believe there's a lack of yellow cars. And you did that. So it's, it's, it's taking a playful approach to all of this. And when you do that, like I said, there are massive changes. We're doing it all the time anyway. You just might as well become more conscious of it. Okay. So that will conclude our uh, column read and discussion today. Um, again, thank you for everyone that was in the chat room and, uh, and was catching us later on in, uh, in the archives. Um, again, info about my services can be found at jimventura.com. And I'd like to point out that I only take about uh, 15 appointments a week. So on those busier weeks, you have to wait a week or two to have a session, but um, it's just my number that I'm, I'm comfortable with. And uh, check out my other media spots. And just happy New Year of the uh, hair of the rabbits and happy New Year in general. And until next time, uh, everybody have a, a great start to the new year. All righty. Cheers. <laughs>